0: Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. I mean, it is friend week. This place is packed. Raise your hand if you brought a friend. Raise your hand if you have a friend. Almost all hands are up. Don't worry, we'll work on that. But what a beautiful testimony, am I right? I mean, God is in the business of healing, is he not? And that's exactly what we're gonna talk about tonight. The, The title of tonight's message, if you're taking notes, man, whip out that journal, open up your phone if you got notes, if you got an Android, just keep it in your pocket. I'm just kidding, I have love for all of you guys, even Android users, and you wreck our group chats. No, but get your notes out and go ahead and title that bad boy, The Wound You Can't Heal. So we're going to see, man, what exactly does God have to say about this idea of a wound you can't heal? I feel like it's an appropriate topic heading into spooky season uh, to talk about wounds and even though uh, it makes me a little bit queasy, I shake at the knees at the sight of blood. I'll get through this if you can get through with me. Does that sound good? All right, you guys are kind of slacking on me today, but that's what, we'll get into it, it's no big deal. So a wound is something that I had happened to me a while back. I, I went to, uh, well, I was still going to Baptist Bible College online, but I was in person, that used to be a thing, um, at BBC, and I was in the student union, is what they call it, and we were playing this game called Pool Shark, or AKA Skittles, or whatever you wanna call it. It's a dangerous game if you get around the right people. And so, man, I was like, I am idiotically into this, I will not lose. And so I remember we were going around the pool table and if you guys know how to play, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And I grabbed the cue ball and you're supposed to throw it at the eight ball. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Can I get some head nods? Cool, cool, cool. So I threw it and I was like, this needs to be an Olympic sport because I'm elegant and glorious. And I threw it and when I threw it, I slapped my knee against the metal frame of the pool table. Some of you guys know where I'm going with this. And then I was like, well, I'm a G and that hurt, but I'm going to play it off. And so I stood back waiting for my turn again, and I was like, why am I underneath an air vent? I was like, there's this cool breeze heading down my leg, and then I quickly realized this was not an air vent, I uh, looked down, my sock was soaked with blood. And I was like, oh my goodness. And the only person that I can even remember because maybe I'm a little bit traumatized was my man CJ was with me. And if you know CJ, there's two things we know about CJ. One, he's about to marry way out of his league. That, that, is, that is an answer to prayer. We, didn't, we were worried about CJ. But the second thing is, when it comes to any sort of medical treatment, that man is as hillbilly as it gets. And so he took me over to the bathroom, and we brought a chair in the bathroom because I knew there was some sort of uh, towel there. And so we pulled up my—I'll show you it later. You guys thought I was going to show you. So I pulled up my pant leg, and there is a Phil Wickham-type wound. You guys are like, what are you talking about? I'm talking, how great the chasm. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, the skin was open. You could see my kneecap. Like, this thing was ridiculous. And I just remember, I was like, give me all the tissue that you can. If I just slap that bad boy on there, it'll be well. As long as I don't see the blood, as long as, as, as I apply pressure, as soon as I lift it up, You know, that's normally how cuts work. It's all dried up and it's better. This sucker was deep. I mean, how high the mountain I could not climb type thing. So in desperation, I turned to CJ. Worst mistake you could ever do. And what does he do? He pulls out the gorilla glue. And I'm like, CJ, what what are you doing? And he's like, no, you're good, you're good. And I was like, no, what are you doing? And blood is still running down my leg, but I'm like, if I just apply more pressure, if I just get more tissue paper, this thing will be all good. And CJ said, no, 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 take it off. Pinch the skin together. (laughs) Some of you guys just passed out. We'll get a med team on that, that's all right. And he super glued the skin. And he's like, just pinch it until it dries. Just pinch it until it dries. And I'm like, CJ, I'm about to knock you out if I had enough strength. I'm alive, so CJ, wherever you are in the room, God bless your heart, you saved me. Uh, But this idea of a wound, if you guys are taking notes, there's three things that we need to know about a wound. Specifically, the wound that we're talking tonight is gonna be metaphorical, it's a metaphorical wound, but it is relating to something that is all too real. This wound we're talking about tonight is the wound of sin. And the three qualities that we can see in parallel to a wound, and more specifically, the wound of sin, is number one, if you're taking notes, is this particular wound, this wound of sin, brings pain. The second thing is, this wound, just like my wound on the pool table, was self-inflicted. And then the third point of this sin wound that all of humanity has a problem with, we would turn on the news for five seconds and we would acknowledge there's something wrong with this world. Am I right? This deep sin wound as number three of a category of a wound is it cannot be healed by yourself. See, with the wound that I suffered on my knee, I'll show you later tonight, there's still a wicked scar. I asked my aunt, uh, who was, by the way, if you say aunt instead of aunt, we got an issue already. You can see yourself out, and take the android people with you. No, but I asked my aunt, who who is a nurse, <laughs> there you go, I said both, and I was like, do did did we do this right? And she's like, oh no. Like, you should have gotten stitches. And I was like, well, it's, it's done now. But that is the type of wound that in some sort of self-medicating way, I came out okay. That isn't the stake. That isn't the this quality of sin wound. We can't do that. This wound is so severe, we need help. And it's something that's apparent in in all of culture and all of society. Every religion in the world agrees that there is something wrong with us. And what I want you to know is that the pain that we feel is a symptom of the wound. See, the pain is the symptom, but the sin struggle is our wound, And so some of you guys might experience this in your own life, if we can just get real tonight, the the grateful thing that I love about young adults is this is a place where we can be genuine and honest, am I right? There have been a lot of people who have worked at building a culture of genuine people who are sharing genuine struggles. So if, if this is your first time here tonight, welcome. You're in a safe place where for maybe the first time in your life, you can be real. And so this wound exhibits pain. We see it everywhere. So a symptom of that pain that you might have felt from somebody else's sin issue is the pain of divorced parents. We heard it in the testimony. There is something about when parents divorce that the children face the repercussions, the pain of the wound. Maybe the pain that you're feeling tonight as a result of your wound is the shame you carry with you because of your sexual past. Maybe the pain that your family is experiencing is because of the sin issue that has led to alcoholism and drug abuse that rips and tears away families. This is what we're talking about tonight. Pain is the symptom, but something that is common with everybody in this room, sin is the wound. Are we all following so far? We understand? Are you guys' notes flooded yet? You're like, no, you haven't seen anything good. Cool. All right. We're we're moving on. So if if you could open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 17. And while you guys are doing that, multitasking, I'm going to pray over the service Father, we're grateful for the way that you pursue us. Lord, in all of our brokenness, in all of our sin, in all of our hurts, in all of our pain, and most importantly, Lord, because of this great wound we have, it seems like it is impossible for us to know you, but you made a way. In your love, in your mercy, and in your grace, you've made a way. So we pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to the truth that you've given us in Mark chapter two. And for everyone who is new here tonight, God, I would pray that you would help them feel at home. And that they would feel at home in such a way that they would be attentive to what it is that you're trying to speak to them tonight. And if there is anything in this message, Lord, that is not of you, God, would you remove it from my lips? We pray that tonight would be honoring to you and to you alone, and we give you the glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. what we see, the three characteristics, is man, this wound brings pain, it is self-inflicted, and it is so deep and marred that we actually cannot heal it ourselves. And so there is a great need, now there's a tension, like how in the world do we get from point A to point B? If this wound is so great, and I actually cannot do anything myself to heal it, then what is the solution? And that's exactly what we see In these four verses. So Jesus, this is going to be your number one. The the gospel of Mark is incredible. It's different from the gospel of Matthew. uh, Especially in the way of whose audience was intended to read it. So every, every author who writes it typically writes with a audience in mind so Matthew was thinking man let me write this so that the Jews that were listening would be able to understand and relate and here in the gospel of Mark Mark wants to focus on the humanity of Christ so much so that a non-Jew a Gentile could understand and so Mark you might see uh, in in comparison to Luke doesn't have as much detail why why is that It's because he wants you to focus on who Christ was and who he is and how that can be a benefit to you. So in in Mark chapter two, we see Mark painting the picture that Jesus is a friend of sinners. The God of the universe who put on a earth suit, came to into the world, and instead of coming in in power, seeking to push away everybody that, that did not fit his standard, he came humbly, born in a manger. Why? To give his life as a sacrifice for those who needed it most. So in Mark chapter 2, Mark wants you to see this. So put on your, your Mark eyes and try and identify Jesus a friend of everyone everybody that was an outcast, for everybody whose wounds were deep and apparent to the public. So in uh, verse 13, it says, then he, this is Jesus, he went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him and he taught them. So this is Jesus in, in the passage before he had just healed a paralyzed man who some would say in this culture, even talking to a man who was unclean, you should never do. So Jesus is already flipping the mold on its head and here is Jesus who pursued uh, to heal a paralytic man and now he's on the way, still speaking, still people following him to meet a man that we'll know as the name of Levi. And it's important to know what Levi's occupation was because Mark is adding the tension to the story. Jesus is is in the eyes of the people who were the religious elites, was not supposed to associate with these types of people. And Jesus comes on the scene, not as a pious God who does not care for humanity, but a suffering servant who is here as a friend to the sinners. And that's exactly what we see. Jesus is coming along, and in, chapter, or in verse 14, he says, and he passed by, and he saw Levi. And what happened? The son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And so he arose and followed him. This is what we can understand as the most despised profession of this day and age. Why? why? Why were tax collectors so hated? Well, it was because Romans allowed the Jews to tax themselves so that it would be one less thing for the Romans to do, but also so that as long as Rome got their money from these Jews living in their domain, then everything was good. So with this type of power you can understand how this can become very detrimental is this person who is a Jew would backstab and lie to the very people he was called to love. For what purpose? Why would somebody do that for his own personal gain? So let's say you were fishing after fishing hours and the charge was $60, what would this tax collector do? Is specifically Levi would charge you $100. So long as Rome got their $60, he could pocket the 40. And so tax collectors were hated. Culturally, we know that community and ethnicity was so important to the Jewish people and instead of being in camaraderie as a family, he was willing to backstab his own people for his own personal gain. This is Levi. And so many of us maybe have this concept or this vision of God that that Jesus came to to basically come along with the the people who were already considered righteous and then he would change the world. But Jesus flips the world on its head and he is calling out the people to follow him who were the, as society would say, the scum of the Jewish people. Some of the ways that they described these tax collectors uh, were traitors, shunned people, they were hated, the most hated, amongst the Hebrew people. And some uh, outside biblical texts even have referred to tax collectors as the vermin of the earth. They were hated. Some of the sins, uh, the wound that gave way to some of the sins was lying. They, they wouldn't tell you the truth. So long as they got the money that they needed, they, they wouldn't tell you the truth of how much you were actually being charged. They would steal they were self-centered, they were greedy, they were a traitor, they were lovers of money and at the expense of their own people, even their own family. They were filled with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the heart, and what was seen all throughout just this occupation was the pride of life, that being that they were most concerned with the way that they were running their own lives. But one thing was sure for these tax collectors, one thing that they could not forget is they were seen as the social outcasts who were blatant sinners. And you're like, well, how do you know that they knew that? Because the people would not let them forget. They wouldn't allow them to become uh, in the court system. They wouldn't allow them to be a judge or a witness. Why? Because their profession was built around lying and disloyalty. And so many people experienced pain because of Levi in particular, his sin wound issue. Because by nature you and I are born with sin, so so much uh, is true of Levi as well. He was born into sin, and so his natural desires were to do what? To cheat my own people, to just love money, to live for money, to be greedy, to step on other people so long as it puts me at the top. He was well aware of his deep wound. And this calling of Levi, a lot of other gospel, or the two other gospel references to this exact same account, recall this is being Levi's conversion, him saying, I know what I'm labeled as. I know my wound is deep. But there is no hope for me outside of Jesus. So I'm going to forsake my profession. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. But I know one thing. Jesus is Lord. And he will provide for me. And most importantly, he can heal what I can't. My deep sin wound issue. And so maybe this begins to make you think in your mind if I was in this day and age, or even where you're sitting right now, what are the things people know me as? Or maybe if we want to make this a little more personal, I'll throw myself under the bus. What particular sins do you struggle with? Is it lying? Is it pride? All of these things are symptoms where pain is inflicted on your own life. I think so often I look back at at my past and I see so much pain, so much shame, so much grief. Why? Because of this self-inflicted wound. Instead of letting Christ heal me and transform me, I'm choosing to do life my own way. But for levi he understood there's no hope for me outside of jesus there is no way for me to heal the great wound that so inflicts me and so for the first half uh, of this quote we just want to put this on the screen is an individual's sin is the deep wound which separates them from a holy god I'll put my name in there, Andrew's sin, his sin issue was the deep wound that separated him from a holy God. And if by our third characteristic, this isn't a wound that I could heal myself, then what hope is there for a wretched sinner like Andrew Perez? What hope is there? and this is what we see happen with levi in his pursuit of jesus see these men understood there was no hope outside of christ and even all of the people following jesus saw the low life levi make a decision to follow jesus and that started to get them interested and so in verse 15, if you'll look at that, it said, "'Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house "'that many tax collectors and sinners "'also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, "'for there were many.'" See, the, Levi's response to his conversion was, man, let me have a feast in Christ's honor. And it's kind of different culturally, but if you were to dine with somebody, that would show a lot of relational intimacy that you genuinely love and will be there for this person. And so for the religious elite, the ones who think they had it all together, they're looking at this and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you dining with these people? And then let's, let's take a look at more specifically who was there. It says he was dining at Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. The text seems to make an indication that there's a difference between somebody who was called a tax collector, which was one of the biggest uh, disses you could receive of the age, but there was also somebody called a sinner. That was a person who basically had no regard for Jewish law. Basically, they're saying, I I actually don't even want to attempt to fulfill the law. I actually don't even believe in that. I don't even believe in this God that you guys follow. And what was so painfully obvious was that the religious elites of that day would also refer to these sinners as the most worthless person. And here is Christ, the Son of God, who comes on the scene and is a friend to sinners. That is great news. And then we see that this crowd was now observing That crowd who is on the outside observing this dining that was going on was full of people who had followed him from the past event, but also these Pharisees, their name literally means separatists, who were watching. These guys literally thought they had it all together. And for the sake of our illustration tonight, they were the ones whose wounds weren't present by visual means. So, so in other words, their deep sin issue, the symptoms that they would show were ones of internal struggle and not external. See, for a tax collector, his lying, his manipulating of the people was out in the public for all to see. But a Pharisee who also has this deep sin wound issue, sinned inwardly. So he thought, if I could just dress up my outside, everything will be good. This was a great issue. Because although these Pharisees were just as deeply wounded as these tax collectors and sinners, there was a mindset that they did not need a savior. The very person who has come to heal this great wound, they've rejected because they said, I got it. It's okay, I've I've got my sin under control. And if we're not careful, we can fall into that same category both people who would call themselves believers in Jesus and unbelievers. Like no matter who you are, we have a temptation to fall into this category that we're good, we got our life. We've got it all under control. We don't need help. And we'll see why that is so problematic. Point number two, if, if you're writing down, the first one was Jesus is a friend of sinners. The second is Jesus is an enemy to self-righteousness and we'll see that uh, clearly displayed in the way the pharisees presented themselves so this is what the pharisee who is in the crowd is saying looking upon jesus who's dining with these sinners and tax collectors the the scum of the earth as they would call them he said and when the scribes and the pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and the sinners They said to the disciples, so not even directly towards Jesus, but his disciples, he said, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? In their self-righteousness, thinking that they have it all together, just because their wound wasn't present for all the world to see, we're saying, how is the guy who calls himself the son of God eating with people who are dreadful sinners? He's missing the point. And Jesus helps us understand why, so much as he did for the Pharisees as well. See, Jesus was eating with the ones who very clearly needed help. It is No tax collector could walk into a court system or walk into a synagogue and be accepted. Why? Because his sins were public for all the world to see. And Jesus was dining with him because he knew he needed help levi knew he couldn't heal his own wound levi knew there was no hope in his life apart from jesus and these pharisees are contrasted to that they're saying who is this guy like i'm good my life is great i don't need god's help like i'm kind of trying to deal with all this external pain and i'm just going to suppress it so that the world can't see it but i'm good but these guys what's the deal And Jesus, both in validating and and explaining his ministry clearly, also is making a passionate plea for these Pharisees and for you and I today. So maybe you're thinking, like, okay, so these Pharisees were self righteous, maybe in a different way. How in the world do I know if I'm dealing with self righteousness? I'm glad you asked. I have a a short little uh, list of quotes that maybe you're a victim of this self-righteousness if you've ever thought these thoughts. The first one, overall, in comparison to others, I'm a pretty good person. Like, oh, they're, they're bad, but I'm not doing that. So generally speaking, I'm a good person. Another quote would be, I don't really need to hear the correction in my life because I Dot, dot, dot. This idea that you are exempt and void of all correction. Another one is, uh, well, at least I don't. They do this, well, at least I don't do that. Why are these thoughts so dangerous is because intrinsically they're declaring, I actually do not need as much help as the person next to me. I got this. This deep sin, this deep wound issue, I actually can take care of it myself. And this is Jesus's passionate plea for you to re-examine your life, for the Pharisees to re-examine their lives and maybe to come to a revelation that will result in healing. I know some of you are so tired of living in pain, so tired of living in shame and hurt because of the repercussions of your sin. I know, I've been there. But you don't have to walk the rest of your life with that. But there comes a realization that you must understand. And that's what Jesus walks the people to and is walking us to as well. In verse 17, when Jesus heard it, so he heard the Pharisees' comment, he said to them, those who are, what does it say? Go ahead, say it. Well, we'll do that on three, come on. One, two, three. We did it. I can't tell if you're asleep. The light's bright. So it says, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. Another word that we might understand is doctor. How many of you, when you were feeling so well, you woke up, everything was good, and you said, I should see a doctor today? No one. Especially for me. I need to save that cash. I keep it in my pocket. But it is what it is the person who is sick. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So that might be confusing because don't all of us have this deep wound issue? Why does Jesus make that claim? He wants you to understand that Those who are well do not even seek a physician. If you think you have it all under control, if you think you can deal with the pain and the sin of your life yourself, you will never think that you need a Savior to help you. But we so desperately need the help of a Savior. We know that salvation cannot come to the self-righteous. First, we need to understand that God saves sinners. That means we have to come to a point in our life where we don't think we have it all under control. I I know I'm dealing with this shame. I know I have this pornography addiction. I know I have I'm having premarital sex. I know I have an alcoholic problem. I, I know I have an issue with lying. All across the board, you name it. But we have to come to a place where we're saying, I can't do it myself. I need a God to save me. I can't work my way to God. I need the forgiveness of Christ. This is what Jesus is offering in this passionate plea. The second half of the quote that I presented with you earlier is, an individual sin, yes, is the deep wound which separates them from a holy God, and yet Christ is the great physician who wants to heal what you cannot. Christ, God, Jesus wants to heal you. But you cannot come to Christ in self righteousness. You must come in humility. Jesus is the great physician to heal the great sin wound issue that you and I cannot solve. And so, in closing tonight, if you're a believer in the room, how easy it is for us to forget the great wound that Christ healed for us and we start having this kind of superiority complex that we're we're better than this person or I'm more deserving of God's grace than this person or I'm not going to reach out to this person or invite them in because look what they have going on in their life this is so contrary to the faith that has saved you and how sweet it is when we come back to the reality of how great God's grace was to a sinner like us This eliminates all hypocrisy because you will not act or claim to be something that you know you're not. I am a sinner. And one day in my living room, my father shared the gospel with me. And I knew I couldn't make it myself. I knew my sins couldn't be forgiven. So I said, Jesus, would you save me? And I'll be ever just so grateful for a woman like Amanda Brewer. And there was a young lady in college who was trying to solve her wound issue. She thought, man, with all this pain, with all this hurt that I'm dealing with, if I just apply more pressure, if I just get more tissue, I can stop it. I can solve this wound. And a lady named Amanda Brewer sat down with my wife. She told her, You can't. But if you admit that you're sick, Christ can save you. And it breaks my heart because just this past Sunday afternoon, I sat across a table with three young high schoolers. And I said, Guys, just out of curiosity, how in the world do you think you can get to heaven? And you know what they said? if I'm just good enough. And that's the lie of the world. You and I can never be good enough. We'll never be good enough, but Christ was good enough for us. And if we come to Christ in humility, He can heal the wound that we cannot. And so the three points of application is remember the depth of God's grace towards you if, you're, if you've made a decision to follow Christ before, there, there came a time in your life where you understood the depths of God's grace. Come back to that, because an understanding of that will give you a relentless love towards the people around you. The second is, let the reality of the gospel move you to serve others. This is not just an intellectual understanding, but the love of God moves us to serve people and to share the gospel. And our last application point is really directed towards my favorite people in the room. You've never made a decision to follow Christ. Would you admit today that you were sick and you need somebody to save you? Because that person is Jesus, He doesn't push you away. He doesn't stiff arm you because of your past. He doesn't say you can't come to me because you don't have a greater understanding of of God's word. He's, He's not saying, you know what, you haven't been to church in years. You can't be saved. What he's saying is you are desperately sick and I am here with open arms and I want to welcome you in. Not because you're good, because I am the great physician. I am perfect and I died on the cross for your sins. And I want to welcome you into our family. But you must approach God in humility. Admit you don't have it all figured out. And then you have to ask the great physician to save you. Would you guys bow your heads with me?